What's going on, Susan? What's going on? How you doing? Good. Welcome to Dallas, Texas. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be back. <laughs> did uh, did some jujitsu this morning? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. You learned the clock choke? Yeah, that was that was fun. It was hard, but that was fun. How'd that feel? Yeah, it felt it felt great. Um, once you get the hang of it, like what's what's it feel like to learn how to choke someone? Oh, that that part's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's my strong suit too. It, I it think. is your strong suit. You're <laughs> you're very good at choking. <laughs> I I feel like a, I, the thing that I've noticed, like when I was learning that today, and then the other option from the back. Yeah. Um, I I feel like I'm I'm able to pick things up. Like I don't freak out when I see all these steps anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm picking it, I'm picking it up maybe a little faster than I used to. Yeah. I mean, you would be a better judge of that than me. I just feel like. I am. I, yeah, as, you absolutely are, and, and you've heard me use this analogy a million times, but it's sort of like if you're listening to someone speak a language that you know nothing in, then it just sounds like it sounds like they're speaking really fast, and it it's just sounds like a jumble of sounds. <laughs> Where uh, and and I think when someone starts jujitsu, that's what it feels like. There's a, there's a jumble of movements, and you don't understand anything. There's no rhyme or reason behind anything. And now I was saying, like, I feel like you're really getting, like, you you know the alphabet now. And now it's starting to get to the point where it's like you're learning words. Mm-hmm. And you can put those those letters together to make to make words that actually mean something. Yeah. And so that's, it, it, absolutely, you're getting better. And then and in the same way, when you, when you start to understand the alphabet of a language and you start to understand some words, now it doesn't sound as fast because you can, there are demarcations between individual words that you can hear now because you understand what words they're saying. Yeah. Whereas before you know that language, it's just blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It doesn't make just, any sense yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, it's like the, on, on Charlie Brown when he's in the classroom and the teacher's just like, wah, 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 yeah. wah, wah. <laughs> Exactly. That's what it was like at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's, been fun learning these yeah and you're doing great and it's it's very very cool it's it's just always so fun especially because whether it's with strength training or with uh with with jujitsu or really anything you you know better than i do people always say hey is it too late for me to start when i'm 40 yeah or 50 and it's like you started jujitsu when you were 62 yeah (laughs) you you started really really high level strength training about eight years ago or so yeah it's like, and on your podcast yesterday, what's the name of your podcast? Uh, the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. We we were on your podcast mm-hmm. yesterday, and you were talking about how you wish you knew this. I think one of the questions that was asked, and we're going to do it at the end of this podcast as well, like do a bunch of random questions, was um, what's something you regret, I think it was. It, and, it didn't use the word regret, but essentially, what do you wish you knew sooner? What do you wish you knew yeah. sooner? And you said, I wish I knew this stuff like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I didn't say it yesterday, but it made me think. It was like 20 years ago for you, you were 43. Yeah. And I know there are a lot of people who are like, is it too late for me to start at, at 40? Yeah. At yeah. 40 or 35 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, if people knew that if if you if you're 40, 45, 50, 60, 70, whatever it is, yeah. it really is never too late. Yeah. Because and you're the prime example of that. Yeah. I and I, honestly, I want to be. I want to be that person. I want to kind of live. I mean, I talk about it and and I want to walk the walk, um, and just continuously show people that yeah, it's just never you know it's never too late. And you know, and I'm having to dodge a lot of shit right now with yeah. this too. Yeah. And I'm still doing what I can, yeah. you know, when I can. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's possible for anybody. You're you're going through some real hip issues yeah. right now. Do you yeah. want to like talk about that for like just explain what's going yeah. on? Yeah, I mean, I have hip arthritis, and arthritis. If I didn't really even know this to be honest with, with, about arthritis, but I didn't know it gets worse, not better. Like I never <laughs> knew that it doesn't ever get better. Yeah. You know, I, I think all medical conditions, conditions get better. No, this one doesn't. And I remember the day he, the, the doc said, yeah, you have um, arthritis. So today is the best day it's ever going to look. Yeah. You know, it's basically downhill from here. Yeah. And that a hip replacement was in my future, but we thought maybe 20 years down the road or something like that. Um, and it's just gotten worse. You know, yeah. it's gotten worse. It hurts to walk right now. Um, uh, it's affecting my knee as well. I'm not exactly sure how that's, how it's doing that. If my knee is a separate issue or if it's referred pain. Um, yeah, it is just, it's been tough. Like it's sore to sit. Yeah. And then getting up from sitting, I look like a, you know. Ten minutes. Ten yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it takes a while to be able to walk. Um, so, yeah, I'm still dodging this. But what I find, though, is it feels the best when it's doing something when yeah. it's moving yeah um and even doing leg day still feels okay yeah you know and i've had to train through some discomfort not pain i won't train through pain but i will train through some discomfort and uh, i'm learning like i'll know if i went too far because it takes me far long to recover right you know and so you have to learn that yeah and sometimes it's the hard way but you i've learned what what I can do, um, and and you and I, you've been writing my programs forever, and the the one before this one, I think where it was all single leg stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, literally, I started with no weight, and I've been doing this for years. Yeah, you're strong as shit. And, and you I just no said yeah. I'm starting at ground zero, and I'm building this stuff back up, and I did. I mean, that was probably the best period for my hip. Yeah. Yeah. In a while. Um, I just feel like I've crossed over kind of this this plane now with, with the constant pain, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on getting hip replacement and then uh, being back into full action. You know? One of the things that's been, again, going back to you being a great example for people is we get questions all the time about, well, what do I do if I'm injured? Mm-hmm. What if I do if I have pain? And you brought up a great point where you don't train through pain. You train around pain or, or you're okay to train with some discomfort. But again, a prime example of just because you have something that is seriously affecting you physically does not mean that you have to stop altogether. And I think one of the the worst pieces of advice that I've seen uh, many professionals give is to just do nothing. Don't work out. Don't move. This is, I think, a relatively, at this point in time, old school methodology Mm -hmm. old school train of thought well just don't do anything just rest and there's a time and a place for rest but i think now more than ever science has shown us that staying active no matter what in whatever capacity you can manage is the most important thing you can do because if you if you just were like you know what i just i'm not going to move now well now you're you're still going to have the hip issue and then all of the other issues never like yes physiological heart lung muscular tendon joint all that but 
than the mental side yeah. of just staying stuck and, yeah. and then feeling run down and feeling like you're just getting worse and worse and worse. I think it's the that is the fast track to degrading and to aging way, way, way more quickly. Oh, absolutely. Because we get so hyper-focused on what we can't do. Mm-hmm. And and then, so why bother? Yeah. And Well, there's a lot of reasons to bother. You know, it, it is, it, yeah, you will compound whatever issue you think you're resting. You will compound that issue by not doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you have a bad shoulder, well, you there's still upper body things that you can do, but certainly you've got two legs. Yes. You know, yep. um, if it's if it like it's a hip like me. OK, so maybe leg days look a little different, but man, I, upper body hasn't changed for me at all. Yeah, really. I yep. mean, we're still doing all this stuff. Still cranking out. Yeah. Like you did crazy inverted rows yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, there's there's a way to work around to keep your head in the game. And I think that's equally as important. Right. Is the mental aspect yeah. to yeah. all of this. It's uh it's it's amazing to see that you you just never stop you you never find a justification or an excuse to quit you just always 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 keep going so i i have always loved that and admired that about you now we're going to go through some q a the the way that this podcast is going to go if you have never listened to a podcast with susan and myself if you don't know susan is my co-coach in the inner circle and um we actually have some very exciting news about the inner circle. Yes, we do. We are officially going, doing a massive overhaul and a huge, complete redesign uh, of not only the inner circle website, but also the application. So we are completely redesigning it from scratch, and and we're very excited about it. it, it we're yeah. hoping it'll be ready by New Year's realistically we don't expect it to be ready by new year's probably like if maybe by valentine's day that would be great but within the next three to six months maximum and it's just it's going to be a massive overhaul it's going to be yeah just it's going to be unbelievable it's so exciting to think about the things we've been talking about to bring to this app and how it's going to be so clean and streamlined and uh, probably don't think there's going to be much else like it around yeah. at all. The main the main issue and then we're, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to do a Q&A on Instagram from Instagram Q&As and then we're going to do like a random question generator but uh, briefly one of the main issues that that we've found with the inner circle is you have to remember I started it back in 2015. Susan, you started working with me on it was it 2017 or 2018? I think 18. 2018. So we started it I started it in 2015 and one of my main things is I wanted as soon as someone joined I wanted them to have access to everything I've ever made because I feel I felt like I don't want to I don't want to remove anything I want everyone to have access to everything ever I just felt like that that's what you should get you should get access to everything that's ever been inside of it and the the main issue with that is it can be overwhelming for people when they first join because they're like there's so much in there and, and when you first join, there's a start here button. We've tried to make it as clear as possible. But there are some people, it's, just, it's a little bit overwhelming for them. So the main focus of this new app and website is clear, streamlined. As soon as you join, you're going to have your own personalized dashboard. You're going to have your calories calculated for you, your fiber calculated for you. You're going to have uh, your, your strength training program, your cardio guidelines. Everything is going to be right there in your personalized dashboard, your consistency calendar. Like everything will mm-hmm. be right there, and it will be another added aspect. It will be very personalized, which we are super, super yeah. excited about. Yeah, So. With that in mind, uh, or with that said, now we're going to go on to the Instagram Q&A. 
and there were some actually very, very good questions I wanted to go over today. The, the first one is how long into a cut is a refeed day a good idea? I wanted to ask this one because there are many different components we can discuss, but Susan, your initial thoughts, how long into a, a cut or a, a, another word for a cut is a, a weight loss phase or a calorie deficit, mm-hmm. how long into it is a refeed day a good idea? You know, the very first thing that pops into my mind is we're already thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's f- top of mind. Yep, yep. You're going into a calorie deficit and or maybe you just started and this you're already thinking refeed day. Yep. Which tells me maybe the deficit you have might be a little bit too much. Too aggressive. Yeah. yeah. If you're already thinking about the day a refeed day. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's a great point. And then and then the the other thing is, um, well, first I guess to answer the question, I don't think that there's a okay. Well, the book says it's after a week. Right. And right. Then, you know, it's going to be very individual, and it's going to depend on how you're feeling energy levels, you know, mentally, all these things put together. When is a good time for you to do that? And then are you okay with it? Do you understand about a refeed day or just going to be a, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Right, right. And then that might bleed into Sunday to Monday, you know, whatever, something like that. So many things to consider with us. But I feel like the actual when would it be a good idea is as important as how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of great points. For me, whenever I hear someone talk about refeed days, I I laugh just because why are we calling it a refeed day? Yeah. And plus you're starving yourself. (laughs) A refeed day is is another way of saying you eat more. Yeah. That's what they're saying. A refeed day implies you're just going to eat more that day. And I feel like when we create these terms – it contributes to overthinking. It contributes to overcomplicating. It's like when you say like, it's a refeed day, immediately someone's like, well, what's a refeed day? Like, what does yeah, that include? It's name. Which foods yeah. and, and what quantities and at what time? Oh, my it's gosh. Like, it's just a day that you're going to eat more. Yeah, just eat a little bit more. That's literally all it means. And yeah. so when people are like, it's, it's like when people talk about intermittent fasting. Like, this is my fasting window and this is my feeding window. And I'm like, you're feed. Are you in a fucking zoo? Like, yeah. are you an animal? And you have like a feeding time? Like, it's a fuck. You. This is when you're not going to eat, and this, this is, when is when you when are going to eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So first, I think let's sort of remove the novelty of like a refeed day, and just say you're going to eat more that day. Second, going to your point, which is really I think the most important, which is um, the actually both of your points were incredibly important, but one of them is it's going to depend on a number of factors, including how steep your calorie deficit is, also how much body fat you currently have. I think those are the two the two biggest ones. Mm-hmm. If you have a lot of body fat to lose, like you're starting, we'll say like 45% body fat, you're, you have a lot to lose, you can go a much longer period of time in a calorie deficit because you have so much more to begin with. You have so much more fat to begin with. Whereas if you are relatively lean, it becomes more important to not only have not as strict of a calorie deficit, but also to have more have more days in which you have a break, because it's going to get more difficult the leaner you get, and it can be more helpful not only physiologically but psychologically and emotionally to have these breaks more uh, spread or more uh, intermittently placed in in your in your day to day nutrition because it can help you now. 
Some people do better with just having, instead of having an entire day geared towards it, they just, you know what, I'm just going to have like a little snack every day. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer to have like, all right, I'm going to be really strict for two weeks and then I'm going to have one day where I deliberately eat more. There's no definitive right or wrong way to do this, but when do you know it's time? In my experience, if you get to the point in which you're like, oh my God, I need this, you've gone too far. Mm, yeah. The, and this is something you only learn with trial and error. This is something that you you have to learn over time that you're you're going to make mistakes. You're going to go too far. You're going to take it a little bit too strict and too rigid. And that's okay because as, as long as you learn from that, then you're learning how to better handle it. So for me, I will deliberately have days in which I eat more early on in a cut because I know if I wait too long, that's when I'll eat more. So you know, I do that very frequently. That What pops in my head as soon as you said that was when I was in my running days and I talked to this guy, Jeff Galloway, huge in the running community with uh, a run, walk, run, walk, run, walk kind of pattern. And when I talked to him about how sore my legs were at the end of my first half marathon, he asked me when I started the walking and it wasn't until eight miles and something like that. And he goes, no, 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 you start it at the beginning. Yeah. You start it at the beginning when you're fresher. Yep. Even though you feel like you don't need it. Yep. Even though you feel like people are passing you by. Yep. You take it, you do that walking break, and you start it early. Yeah. Same principle. Exactly. You know, so, so that you're not like, you know, white knuckling it later. Like when I when I did the, the sugar spiking mini cut. I had I had three big events throughout that month. Yeah. I had my wife's Huge. birthday, my daughter's birthday, and my anniversary with my wife. And there were a lot of people who were like, "That's why would you choose this month to do it?" Da da da. Um, the reality is, three days in a month in which I overeat is not a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. three, and clearly because over that month I lost twelve pounds, but. It's three days. Mm-hmm. And those three days actually helped me stay more consistent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those three days, yes, the next couple of days my weight had spiked up and I was heavier, but I knew logically it would come back down. I knew logically it wasn't fat. But having those days in which I deliberately eat more makes the month go by faster. It's yeah. more enjoyable. Yeah. And I add to that too that you were very meticulous on the other days. Correct. You were yes. very, and, and I think that that point is super important because taking these refeed or whatever you want to call them days and then just being eh, eh, wishy-washy on the other days, that won't work. That won't work. Right. That's exactly that right. That won't work. So you need to be ready to commit to those other days big yeah. time. Yeah. When, when you have a day plan, like you're, I'm going to eat more, You, if you're serious about making progress, you better be being on point the other yeah. days. Yeah. It's You sort of have to... <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. People, you have to earn the right yeah. to have... Now, people are, oh my God, that's diet culture. Da, da. Listen, if you don't care about making progress, then don't then don't worry about it. Don't mean a calorie deficit. That's fine. Yeah. But if you want to lose weight and if you want to make progress, then there's going to have to be sacrifices along the way. And that means that you have to be more on point with your nutrition. If you if you want to have these refeed days or days in which you eat more, whatever it is, it's like you have to have some days in which you're on point. Which, for some reason in today's society, it's weird to tell people that you've actually got to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Keep the promise to yourself yeah, and go. That's yep. it. All right. Next question. Let's see what we've got. Okay. Here's actually, um, I have a couple questions on this. I think this is really important. How to talk to young people safely about nutrition, macronutrients, exercise, 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How to talk to young people safely about this. And they didn't specify how young, but I'll say for the sake of it, like starting from a young child, like, so like, and we could, there are, I think, different phases and different ways to speak with children based on if they're two versus if they're 12. But like, where does your thoughts take you? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I understand probably where this com- com- question is coming from, um, being afraid of getting kids obsessed with things early yeah. and, and afraid to mention it because then they're going to be focused on losing weight or focused on whatever and not wanting to do that. Um, but I think it, from a nutrition, well, and a training standpoint too, or an exercise standpoint, is, you know, these foods make us really strong, yeah. you know, or these foods, we used to tell my these carrots make your eyes really pretty, you know, I mean, we yep. are really good for your eyes or something like that. We, we would do stuff like that um, and try to approach nutrition from that point of view. Um, you know, we're eating this, this protein, we want to, you know, be strong and have muscle or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that kind of tone. And then with exercise too. You know, we, we want to go out and play soccer. We want to do this. It's, you know, we want our heart to be healthy. Yep. Um, not because we think we need to lose 10 pounds right. or something like that. The weight doesn't ever have to be part of any kind of conversation. It's just, I feel like if you focus on what these foods can do for us or what this exercise can do for us from a health benefit mm-hmm. um, and talk kind of globally that way, then kids start to learn at an early age, yeah. you know, more about foods and, and actually can probably be in a better spot to make better choices as, you know, older kids, teenagers, young adults. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think another thing to consider here, and this is at the very least equally important, if not more important than how you talk to them, is how you live your life and your relationship with nutrition and your relationship with food and your relationship with exercise because they are watching Mm -hmm. and regardless of what you say it's sort of like (laughs) i think about it from the perspective of like uh you could have a guy try and pick up a woman and he could have like the best pickup line ever but if the guy saying it is nervous and anxious and like creepy and weird like it doesn't matter if it, it could be the perfect words mm-hmm. but if the way that the guy is saying it it's like yeah. no get the fuck away from me yeah. i'm not giving you my phone number absolutely not whereas this is exactly what it's like with nutrition and, and exercise with your kids you could have the perfect words you could say the exact right things but if you're not living and modeling it the way that yeah. is is correct or in hel- a healthy way then they're going to see how you're living and be like, okay, well, that's clearly the, it's not even going to be a logical, like, uh, it's not going to be something like, oh, well, they said this, but they act this way. It's just going to be ingrained in them watching you with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if, if on one hand you're saying we eat this food in order to be strong, but on the other hand, every morning they're seeing you throw a fucking fit because the scale isn't going down, or if they're seeing you go outside and throw the scale in the trash bin or throw the scale and smash it with a bat. It's like, 
you're teaching them the scale is evil and you're teaching them that you have no control over your emotions Mm -hmm. and rather than dealing with it logically your answer is just to smash it and remove it from your existence well what happens when they go to the doctor what happens when they're when they go to a friend's house and there's a scale there what happens when they're faced with that and their only exposure is their parent throwing the fucking scale out in a fit because it didn't go the way that they thought it was supposed to go that's way at least equally important as the way you talk to them, if not more important. And so I think the, the way that I would go about this is making sure that if you don't want your child to think that uh, about fitness or nutrition or exercise in a certain way, then you need to make sure you're living in the way that they should be thinking about yeah, walk it. Walk the walk. Yeah, Definitely literally. Definitely walk the walk. And, and know that while it may not look like on the surface that they're paying attention, um, you know, maybe you have a picky eater or, or whatever. They only want to eat whatever. Um, you just keep modeling eating the, the the healthy foods, what what whatever, the fruits and the vegetables and all that, because they'll get it. Yep. Eventually, and I'm one of I have one of those kids that, yeah, it seemed like it was never going to kick in, but it did. Yeah. And it it will it will kick in, and he was paying way more attention than I ever thought at the time. Yeah. You know. And I think there's so many different situations in which this could come up. Like, yeah. off the, I'm thinking, like, who knows? Let's say you go to a restaurant, and and at the restaurant they bring you uh, bread rolls before the meal, right? And you're trying to watch your calories, and you don't want to have the bread rolls. And the child says, "Well, why don't you have one?" Well, you have a couple options. You could be like, "You know what? I do want one." And you could just say, "Like, I do want one, and I have one." Or you could say, "No, I would rather save my appetite for the foods that are going to make me feel better, and I know that one's not going to make me feel as good." That could be it. And mm-hmm. both of those responses are great responses. On one hand, you're able to have it without guilt, and you don't bring that up. You know what? I do want one. I will have one. Or you're like, ah, you know what? I'm I'm consciously and actively thinking about what's going to make me feel good, and I know that right now the bread isn't going to make me feel good. And both of those responses are equally healthy, they're equally logical, and they don't include anything about weight or body composition or any of that. It's just what's going to make me feel good right now. Yeah. And this can carry over into everything. Like, why are you uh, why are you walking instead of sprinting? I don't know. I saw like Jerry's dad was sprinting. How come you don't do that? It's like, well, sometimes I do that, but walking makes me feel better. And, and I can actually look at my blood work and I can look at this my, my health markers and I can see that this has improved or I just like to get more activity and I like to be outside. I like to do it in a, in a more relaxed way. Whatever, there's so many ways to go about it that doesn't have to involve, well, I'm trying to burn more calories or I'm trying to lose weight. It's when you model it in a healthy way, they see that more mm-hmm. than necessarily how you talk yep. about it. And, and like anything else, be consistent with it. And over time, you're going to start seeing... Yeah, the kids start to adapt it. It's really actually kind of crazy to, to, to live through and watch. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, and Mike, your son is is proof I, of that. Yeah, complete proof. He probably lost eighty pounds. Yeah, from that. And and you know, he, he as a kid, he was not really active. And we, yeah, we put him in soccer, and I wasn't gonna shove it down his throat. Yeah, he. It, I mean, he tried it. Eh. He wanted to play football, but. In our area, when kids play Little League, they do it by um, weight. Right, right. And so he would be playing with 
because he was he weighed a lot more than other kids, he'd right. be playing with kids way older than him. Yeah. Okay, well that's a way to get hurt really. Yeah, easy. exactly. You know? So flag football. We, we we found a flag football league. I mean, we're constantly trying and he's an only child and so it's a little harder too. Right. You have to create play dates you have to create all of these things and so you know that's a that was a constant awareness on our end so a lot of challenges and it took some time but he caught on yeah he caught on and now your husband has caught yeah, on too yeah which yeah. is it goes to show it's I, it's so cool like throughout the time of you and i knowing each other and becoming family it's been very cool because we've seen on your end Mike and your husband, they n- were neither really involved in health and fitness. Yeah. And they have now both gotten really involved yeah. in health and yeah. fitness and made amazing progress. My brother was not yeah. involved in health Isn't... and fitness. He's lost 150 yeah. pounds. And we both took the exact same approach. Yep. We didn't force anything. We didn't say you have to do this. We didn't shame. We didn't guilt. All we did was live our lives. Yep. And when they were ready, mm-hmm. they came to us. Yep. And did it take longer than than we would have liked? Yeah. Of I would course. have loved it if my brother came to me 10 years ago. Yeah. But that's not what happened. Yeah. Unfortunately, he came to me like two years ago. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. That's great. And same thing with Mike and same thing with your husband. Like mm-hmm. they, when, when you try and guilt them and shame them and force it, it's one of the worst things you can do. Oh, absolutely. The best thing you can do is live your life and make sure they know that you love them mm-hmm. and if and when they're ready, they'll come to you. It might take longer, but it's better for it to take longer and still have it happen than for it to not never happen at all because you're just butting heads and trying to shove it down their throat. And 100%. then that also creates a divide in the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we don't go down there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have another question, and this is pertaining to children again. This is more in the strength training domain, though. What is an appropriate age for a child to start strength training? Wow. You know... I mean, you could look at it as, you know, kids are enrolled in, um, like, gymnastics classes super early where they're learning to manipulate their body weight. Yep, yep. You know? So I, I don't know how young gymnastics classes start. I started when I was two. Did you? I mean, so I feel like, I mean, I think probably people are thinking more of a weight room experience, but really having kids start with body weight and being able to move their own body and control their own body movements and and that gymnastics is great, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be as young as two, I guess, w- with gymnastics classes. Um, it was interesting for, for, for weight training in a gym, you know, I've seen kids like 10, 11, 12 um, with some supervision starting with uh, body weight and then going to some light dumbbells, things like that. Um, my son started as a teenager, at, I think his senior year in high school, really, mm-hmm. um, in a weight training class. He finally had room on his schedule to do something else, and so he chose to do that. And that was a good time for him to start. Um, it wasn't too late. He wasn't behind. Uh, it was just kind of a good time. I think kids are going to be all different with that. But, um, yeah, I, I think it just depends. You could go as early as gymnastics or uh, of tumbling classes, whatever, and... Um, maybe a 10, 11, 12 year old in the gym with appropriate supervision and appropriate exercise selection. Um, yeah, or, or even, a, you know, a young teenager, Yeah, I think. So I, I love everything you said, and I actually, I really like how you started it, especially because the, the way the, the person phrased the question, 
She asked, what's an appropriate age for a child to start strength training? She didn't say weight training. Right. And that might have been an accident, might have been a coincidence, but either way, it's important to make that distinction in that strength training doesn't necessitate weight training. Right. And you're 100% right that gymnastics is strength training. Sure is. You can get way stronger with just your body weight. And I don't think any logical person could ever deny this, especially we're watching my daughter now. My daughter is like in the process of learning how to walk. Um, she, how many times has she fallen her butt, stand back up, fallen her butt, stand back up? That's strength training. That alone. That is strength yeah. training. Yeah. And, and if you ever watch a child who's learning how to walk up the stairs, that's strength training mm-hmm. because they've never done that before. And so even though it's just the child's body weight, they are getting strong enough. They are working through progressive overload in order to get to the point in which they can do it consistently over and over and over again. It's strength training. Mm-hmm. And so literally everything that, even tummy time for babies, yeah. strength training. Absolutely. That is strength is. training. You're yeah. strength training their neck muscles, their erector spinae. You're, when they learn how to roll over, strength training. Yeah. When they're, this is all strength training. It's not weight training. It's strength training, which improves your strength. You can improve your strength without weights. So, I mean, from the time their babies are going to be doing it anyway. In terms of actual weight training, I think the most important thing to do first is to establish a clear mastery of your body before you start lifting external loads. And so I think, like you said, my daughter is going to be in gymnastics when she's two. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe even earlier, because there was actually a gymnastics place very close to where we're moving. Might bring her in a little bit early, and it's essentially going to be like daycare, but like they'll have her do whatever she can do, and it'll be yeah. fun. It's not like serious training. Yeah, it's right, just like right. let's just roll yeah. around and oh, run. Yeah, all of that. Jump in the foam pit. Exactly. But <laughs> even thinking about like jumping, yeah, that is uh, that is an expression of your strength and of your power. power. Mm-hmm. And if you do that over and over and over again, you're getting stronger, you're getting more resilient, you're training your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, all of that. So jumping into mm-hmm. a foam pit is a form of training. Yep. I mean, if you're going to the gym and doing box jumps, you're doing the same thing. It's just you're maybe doing you're like you're deliberately doing three sets of five reps with sixty seconds rest. Meanwhile, the kids at gymnastics are just fucking going nonstop, jump, 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 jump. jump, jump, jump. <laughs> They're doing the same thing. Yeah. So, again, for me, if I'm looking at a child, when can they start weight training? It's less about age, and it's more about have they shown that they have a certain level of mastery over their own body, and with that in mind, I start looking at. What movements can they do with control? Now, I used to coach young kids when I was an in-person coach in Boston. And any coaches who are listening who've coached young kids or maybe even parents of, of young kids who've seen them play sports, so, like they'll often they'll look like baby deer, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're all over the place. Never mind, it's hard for them to concentrate and focus, and they're all over the place. They're, they don't know what's going on. But like when they're trying to, like you have a, a young kid, like an eight-year-old kid try and do a squat or a lunge, oftentimes if they haven't been trained properly, their knees are caving in, severe valgus, they're falling all over the place, they have no balance. It's, it's actually, it's funny, it's, it's fun. But if I have an eight-year-old, and I'm hoping my daughter will be one of these eight-year-olds who's been trained properly and, and just through a fun process, not through a regimented process, but through fun, she can do a great forward lunge when she's eight then she'll be able to lift weights. Yeah. If she can do a controlled yeah. body weight forward lunge for, I would say, at least three sets of 10 reps per leg, 
then there's no reason why she couldn't do goblet squats or she couldn't lift weights as long as she can display that control. If she can do 10 perfect push-ups, there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to bench press. If she can do five amazing chin-ups, there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to lift weights. So it's, this is what I mean by mastery over your body weight first. And and I that for me has less to do with age and more to do with their skill in terms of displaying strength and control of their body. And that takes time too, depending on the age, because developmentally, depending on what age they are at, you know, adults, they can watch our tutorials or something on form and technique and be able to apply that. An eight-year-old's probably not going to be able to do that. Correct. You know, so it's going to take a little bit more time for that eight-year-old to master just a body weight squat or something like that um, in, in proper form. But... taking the time to do that will pay off later. Yes, exactly. It was a really good question. I like the way that they had phrased it. All right, let's see. We've got... Okay, so someone said, I loved your experiment regarding your sugar spike and weight loss. With that in mind, how much weight loss a month is sustainable? And again, a very good question. There are many different things to consider here. What do you think, Susan? How much weight loss per month is a sustainable amount of weight loss? Boy, that's very individual, I think. That's exactly right. It's so individual. I'm on the conservative side of this a lot because I feel like people want weight loss super, super fast. Um, And I understand that. We, We all want things to happen fast. So I like the half pound to pound a week, so that would be two to four pounds a month. I feel like is a nice sweet spot to be in. It's slower than probably most people would like, especially older people who grew up with the two pounds a week is standard. Yep. You know, it, it's slower than that. By the way, it's not standard. It never was. I don't know why we all fell for that. Um, but half pound to a pound a week on average, understanding that this is on average and that there will be some weeks maybe you don't lose any. Maybe some weeks the scale goes up, but by the end of the month, perhaps anywhere two to four, I think is a great spot to be in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and to go into the individual individualization of this, we'll use my brother as an example, or even your husband as an example. Mm-hmm. He's lost, he, how much has your husband lost? In like He's the lost first... 10 pounds in probably five weeks. In five weeks. So that's yeah. significantly more yeah. than what you just yeah. said. So let's actually talk about that. Yeah. Why do you, do you think he's done it sustainably? Oh, yeah. So let's talk about that. So he's lost significantly more than the range that you just said. What about him and what he's done leads you to believe that's sustainable? The reason why I think what he's doing is working for him, first of all, he's fascinated with this app that he has found to track Mm -hmm. things. He's never done this before. He's a data info guy. Yeah. And he is, when he says he's going to do it, He's gonna do it. Yeah, he's not one of that's the, his he, personality. Yes, he doesn't waffle, you know. And then just I can't stop eating. He's not that guy. Um, and his eating, if you looked at it prior to this, was not outrageous. He ate out a lot. Like if he's running errands, always eating out, yep. lunch out all the time. You know, on the weekends when he's judging, God, you know, it, th- that was all a mess. Um, and then the biggest part was he wasn't active. Yeah. That, and that might be the biggest piece of it all. Um, he's just tweaked his nutrition now where he's focused on protein at every meal. Mm-hmm. That is significant 
because he wasn't even getting 100 grams of protein probably oh, wow. by wow. the end of the day. And so now he's averaging 120 to 130. Oh, wow. Good for pretty, him. And he had to work up to that. Yeah. But he is now, he's eating yogurt. Good. God <laughs> almighty. <laughs> that is like, what? Um, just, he has watched me and Mike. Yep. And we, we've just been on autopilot with this. And so he's been watching. And so he dropped some weight very quickly because he has dropped the number of calories he's consuming from what he was. So... I feel like his rate of weight loss is going to slow down. Yes. And we've talked about this, and he's he he already knew that. I mean, he knows all of this. How how tall is he? He is about six two. Okay, so he's a big dude. He's a big dude. How much did he weigh at the start? Oh, I uh, that's a mystery. Got it. Okay, it's a mystery. However, my guess is he has probably a good fifty to lose. Got it. So so this is one of the most important aspects of individualization and why that rate of weight loss is sustainable early on is because he's a big he's a big dude he's not like 150 wanting to get to 120 exactly he's a big guy that has a good bit of weight to lose and that is the main thing that people need to understand if you have a lot to lose then you can lose more early on and have it still be sustainable and if we really think about it, it it's it's a lot, but it's not like what a lot of the claims that people will say. It's not like lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds in a month. He lost about 10 pounds in a, in a little over a month. Yeah. It's not like, you know, the magazines we see at the at the newsstands or when you're going to the grocery store, like lose like 50 pounds yeah. the next 12 days. It's like, it's a lot, but it's not crazy. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're talking with someone who's even like 175, 185 to lose 10 pounds in that first month, that's a lot mm-hmm. for them. And the, mm-hmm. that's a huge difference in terms of mm-hmm. how they're starting weight versus your husband's starting weight. My brother's another great example. He was, I think he was over, he was over three, I think he was 330 pounds when he first started. And he lost about 150 pounds in, in like a year, year and a half, which is a huge amount of weight yeah. loss to lose. But he's been able to sustain it because for a number of reasons, not least of which he had a lot to lose at the beginning, which made it significantly easier to lose weight more sustainably uh, while losing large chunks of it, but also because of the methods that we used along the way, which was increasing protein, watching his calorie intake. The big one, like you said, is just getting him walking every day. Um, But from a sustainability perspective for what I would say is probably a more average individual which is someone who's not severely overweight or not a super, super huge person is between two to four pounds a month. On the other hand, let's look at someone on the exact opposite of the spectrum. Let's look at someone who's a 122-pound woman. What do you think is a more sustainable rate of weight loss for that woman if she wants to lose weight? You're coming down to the half pound a week, you know, maybe – Someone like that who doesn't weigh much to begin with and who wants to weigh less, yeah, that's that's like the hardest scenario. That's the there most is. difficult yeah. scenario. If you get a half pound a week, bravo. Yeah, I would say like I would say between half a pound to a pound a month. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I was just gonna say bravo if you got that for a week. I I, yeah. I don't think that that would probably be it, but I would say more like that over the course of a month. And the problem is people think that's nothing. Correct. That that is you know there's something that's not working and you know we can always go into that that person in that scenario could very well be better off 
going a different direction entirely. Yes, you correct. Know? I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, for uh, another conversation for, for another time, but um, if they wanted to white knuckle through those last several pounds, yeah, yeah, that's going to be tough, and choices are going to have to be made, and you're going to have to be meticulous, and you're going to have to give up a bunch of stuff, and yep. you know, on and on and on. I would say anything under anything under 140 pounds it gets significantly more difficult yeah and then from there anything under 130 pounds like you're in for a fucking ride yeah and like it's because like why why does it become so much more difficult well you have so much less mass on you (laughs) and mass doesn't just mean muscle mass means fat mass means bone mass means literally everything that's what your metabolic rate is largely determined by is how much mass you have so if you don't have as much mass well, then you're yeah. not going to be able to eat as much, yeah. which means that it's going to be way more difficult. So if you're under 140 or or definitely under 130, half a pound to a pound a month, which breaks down to like a quarter pound a week. And this is just averages. You shouldn't expect that every single week. But generally speaking, if you lost a pound a month, that would be a great you're rate of weight ass. loss. You're yeah. killing it. Yeah. 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 So uh, it, it is very individual. And um just don't stop. Just yeah. keep going. Yeah. Now, here's a question. I know you're going to like this one. <laughs> uh, this person wrote, is it factually easier for some people to lose weight over others? If so, why? Factually. I love the factually. Is it factually easier for some people to lose weight over others? What, what are your thoughts on this question? <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, sure. Those that stay consistent versus those that don't. I mean, I, I, that's the fact. Yep. <laughs> that's the factual part. You know, I, um, do I think men, overweight men, have it easier to lose? We were just talking about if you have a ton of weight to lose, it's probably going to be easier for you to lose the weight. Oops, sorry, didn't mean to hit the mic. At, <laughs> at, at the beginning, um, like my husband has a lot more weight to lose than somebody who we were saying only wants to lose five pounds. Or something like that. So factually, he's probably going to be able to lose weight easier, if you want to use that word, than somebody who only wants to lose two or three pounds. But I hear that question as, and I don't, I don't want to come across like a smartass, but I feel like it comes down to, in so many cases, almost all of them, those that are successful are the ones that are consistent over time. Yep. Not consistent for a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, but over a huge chunk of time. Yep. That's the fact. Yep. Yeah. That's the big difference. You know, it's there's a lot to un- unpack with this question. I'm going to read it one more time. Is it factually easier for some people to lose weight over others? If so, why? Well, yeah, it's factually easier for some people to learn algebra than other people. Mm-hmm. It's factually easier for some people to to learn how to have a, a conversation with some like some people are, are are factually better and easier at communicating than others. Some is it some people are factually better at playing basketball than others. So they just learn it easier, right? Is they they no matter what it is in life There'll be people. There, there are some people yeah. who learn and do things more easily than others. And we all have our own strengths and our own weaknesses. What I hear when I see this question is 
what I see a lot of times people doing is looking for a justification yep. to not try because someone else has it easier just, than them. That's what I was just thinking too. It's, yeah. it's, the answer is yes. Some people factually have it easier than others in terms of weight loss. That's absolutely correct. Now what? Yeah. Like, do you just not try now because someone else has it easier than you? Would it make you feel better to just sit down and go on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and complain, oh, so-and-so has it easier than me? Like, what, what is the point? I don't understand. Cool, now we have this information. Mm-hmm. You know some people are going to have it easier. Now what? Now what and, and you know what's funny is I used to think I, I was one of the people that didn't have it easier. I used to think that I was one of the people that would never be able to lose weight because my whole family was overweight and I just I just thought I was inherently limited by my genetics. And then, to your point, I followed a program for 12 weeks and I stayed 100% consistent and I was like, oh shit. Actually, it's it's not ha- has nothing to do with that. It was just I just wasn't consistent before. Now, to be fair, there are genetic components that make it easier for some and harder for others. Let's talk about it. One of them is being something called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's NEAT, which is very, very genetically predetermined, which basically means like if you think about when you were in school, high school, college, middle school, whatever it is, there was probably some kid in your class who was really fidgety. They were bouncing their knee up and down. They were jumping all over the place. Every time they came in the room, they jumped up and hit the, the, the top of the door. Like there's this one kid who's always super fidgety and he was probably really skinny. Well, research has looked at how many calories people burn from this NEAT, this non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and generally speaking, people who have an easier time losing weight, they will burn about 1,000 extra calories per day just from these extra movements, whereas someone who might struggle to lose weight doesn't move as much. They might burn only like 200 to 300 calories a day from these extra movements, which is why walking is so fucking helpful for fat loss because if you are the person who struggles and you're sitting down and you move slowly throughout the day and you're not that energetic of a person deliberate and consistent walks help you burn those extra calories that will make it easier for you so that's one aspect another aspect is hunger hunger is also very very genetically predetermined there are some people who are generally just not as hungry as other people and some people who are generally more hungry Mm -hmm. so if you're the person who gets more and more and more hungry yeah it's going to be more difficult this is why again why walking is so important because walking can help curb hunger whereas oftentimes higher intensity training will make it make you more hungry this is why protein is so important this is why fiber is so important this is why getting enough sleep is so important this is why all of these things can help yes Factually, some people have it easier, but it doesn't give you any justification to think that that you can't do it at all. We were just talking about this on my podcast yesterday about in the menopause question that we had. Same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it harder during menopause, perimenopause to lose weight? Oh, yeah, of course it is. Yep. Of course it is. But then, as you said, the question becomes, okay, we, we get it. It's harder. Yes, 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 yes. Now what are you going to do? Exactly. You know, and, and I think that... As you said, I think that's just where people stop. Yeah. They just stop. It's harder. It you know, vent all you want. Yes, it's hard, but ultimately you're gonna have to make a choice at the end of all that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So 
now what we're going to do is, so Susan did something fun on her, her podcast. She found like this random, this <laughs> random uh, question generator. And so I, I'm going to use the exact same one. We're going to answer a bunch of random questions now. I have no idea what questions are going to come up. I have no idea what it's going to say. They might suck. They might be great. I don't know, but we're going to see. We're going to answer these questions. Okay. Let me see. All right. All right, here we go. Susan, are you a, more of a type A or type B person? Mm. I used to think I was a B, but I think I'm an A. <laughs> you think you're an A? I do, yeah. So, so explain structure, why you used to think B. I, I need, I'm a structure kind of person. Yeah. I, I need, I, and I feel like that's heavily in a type A person. But, and I don't know, is there anything in between the two? Like a, I'm sure it's more of a... A minus, B plus kind of... kind of. I'm sure it's more of like a, of a range or like a continuum yeah, as opposed to... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably technically I'm in the middle. Yeah, I do like structure. I don't like to be pinned down to the minutia of things necessarily. Um, I've gotten more towards the B. Actually, since we've been working together, I've gotten yeah. a whole lot more... Eh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not part of my... No, I'm not 100% there. But yeah, I, I I hate to take the easy way out and say in between. But honestly, I think I am kind of in between. How about you? Okay, so I'm looking just for quick definitions. Mm-hmm. I just Googled what is the difference between type A and type B. Uh, type A personality is one which is stress-prone, in a hurry, mm-hmm. impatient, and fast in whatever they do. Type B is one which is less prone to... Less, less prone... Less stress prone, patient, relaxed, easygoing, and lacks time urgency. So uh, people with type A personalities may be ambitious, competitive, and aggressive. People with type B personalities may be patient, flexible, laid back. You're you're type A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm type A to a point, but I'm not. Um, some of those things that, that you read, I'm like, no, I'm not like that. Like what? Which one? Um, go back and read some of them again. Um, so we have type A is ambitious, competitive, yeah. Yeah. aggressive. I don't know if I'd go aggressive. Oh, are you kidding me? You, I know the story of you at the Redskins uh, game. Well, I got into in a fight, fight once. <laughs> you are absolutely. <laughs> they pi- they deserved it. They pissed You're, me off. It depends on the situation, yeah. but like, I think you have more aggression than uh, I think you have. I think you have more aggression than you don't have. When I would say, like, I would say on the scale of aggression, you're more aggressive than you are less aggressive. I just hear, when I hear the word aggression, I feel like, I, I feel anger, and I'm not. I'm no, no, not, no. Uh, I don't think aggression is necessarily anger. I think aggression, you have the ability to, uh, or you have the capacity, or you're willing, I would say, to, um, I don't want to use the word aggressive in the definition, but, like, you, I think you are more willing to assert your... Assert. Uh, be more assertive, yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah. And that, I, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. into that. Yeah. To assert your opinion, to assert, mm-hmm. I would say that, as opposed to someone who's non-aggressive might be like, nah, whatever, like, I'm just not even going to say anything. Yeah. I would say my wife is definitely type B. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, oh, yeah. whatever. Like, she's yeah. just much more... I would where, agree. Yeah, and whereas I would, I would say I'm... I'm probably more type A as well. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely ambitious, definitely competitive. Like, yeah, I'm like competitive on the highest level, yes, which I, is I think I to, a, to an issue. Um, I don't think I'm overly aggressive, but I, I think I'm like you. I'm more aggressive than I am less aggressive. Yeah. It um, also, it's funny. I've found for me, it depends where I am. 
like when I'm in a work mode, I'm way more type A. Mm-hmm. When I'm in Israel and I'm like in like whatever, if I'm in a vacation mode, I'm full vacation mode. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm relaxed. <laughs> I don't care. Let's go with the flow. But when I'm in a work mode, I'm I'm full on type A, which I think makes sense. Like it when makes you, total sense. When you run your own business, like you have to be type A. Yeah, you do. And you have to learn for um, for your life to be a type B on vacation. I yes, mean, exactly. I mean, to have a healthy life and... Yeah, you have to learn how to be a type B, and I'm learning that. I'm still learning how to be a type B. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. have a hard time unwinding and <laughs> <laughs> like watching TV, just sitting and watching TV. It's like, oh, gotta do something. What, what can I do with my hand? Maybe I need to knit, or I don't know. You know. <laughs> All right. Next question: How do you feel is the best way to overcome challenges in life? Oof. Speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which. You know, learned over the past 10 years that it's, um, we're all going to have them. We're all going to have challenges and, um, yeah, it's going to suck. And it's kind of what we just said. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My hip just sucks. <laughs> you know? So what am I going to do? Yeah. Am I going to just choose not to do anything anymore? Am I going to be that person that moans and complains every single minute of every single day? Or am I going to go out and do what I can? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, that's kind of, yeah. Just got to do it. You, I, I feel like to overcome challenges, you have to face it and you got to make a decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What are you going to do about it? You know? I like that make a decision part. That's where I think... That's where I think a lot of people lack is that they just get stuck in this ambiguity. They get stuck in the middle of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Make a decision. Yeah. It's like it's take way, action. Do something. Yeah. You can. It's always. You can always change direction. And so, and I see this with fitness. I see this with business. I see this with relationships. People get stuck without taking action, and then they regret it because they didn't do anything. It's better to take the wrong action than to take no action yeah. I think for in most cases there are some cases in which like be patient and wait yeah. but for most especially when it comes to an individual challenge you should probably just do something yeah something no matter what absolutely make that decision absolutely yeah um, what is the farthest distance you have driven ooh I I don't know if I know the mileage but the you know, I've been on band trips, too, where we've gone God knows where. But we drove from Las Vegas to Phoenix and had a flat tire in the middle of the desert. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. How'd you we, get it fixed? We were in Tuba City. We went to Tuba City specifically because it's called Tuba City. Yeah, yeah. Right? And we had Mike and whatever. Um, Mike plays tuba. Yeah, Mike plays tuba. And um, there was no spare tire in the car. Oh, jeez. So we call the company. They're coming from Phoenix, which is where we wanted to go. They had to bring a car to us, take our other car, and put it up on their little truck and drive it back. And that was like four hours. Oh, wow. I mean, it, we got the last hotel room in Tuba City. <laughs> so we could, I mean, it, and I don't know what the mileage is. So any of you out in West from Vegas to, to, um, to Phoenix, we're talking about driving from Colorado to Vegas mm. and just 
sightseeing Colorado a little bit more in that part of the country. Yeah, yeah. Bit. I don't know what the mileage would be on that. Yeah, I don't know either. I know poor Mike has driven from Harrisonburg, Virginia, to Dallas to Frisco, Texas. Jeez. I know. Yeah, Jeez. that's insane. Yeah. How about you? So for me, I don't know the longest I've driven. It wasn't, I don't think it was outrageous. Oh, I mean, I think probably like a 14-hour drive to, from Massachusetts to Columbus, Ohio to train at Westside. But the longest like trip I've ever taken, right when I graduated college, I had my online business that I had started, and I wanted to see like, could I actually work from anywhere? And this is this is 2013. This is 2013, and so I'm trying to figure out, okay, can I actually do this from anywhere? Can I just have my computer and work? So I I didn't have enough money to do a lot of like plane tickets, mm-hmm. but I did have enough money to buy train tickets. Mm-hmm. So. I got I did a cross country train trip. Oh wow. And I went from Boston to Chicago and I visited my friend who I used to live with in Israel. I visited him in Chicago. Then from Chicago I went to Austin, Texas. And from Austin, Texas I went to Arizona. From Arizona I went all the way up I went to California and all the way up the coast of California. Then from California I went to Colorado. I was in from Colorado. I went back to Massachusetts. This is all on the train. All on the train. Oh, how awesome is that? All on the train, and I just worked from my computer, and I yeah. wrote articles. This is before I was ever on Instagram. I don't. I think Instagram may have existed then. I'm not sure, but I, I wasn't on it. And I was just writing website articles and yeah. working my clients online. And yeah. by the time I finished that, I was like, I could work from anywhere. Like this is awesome. That was yeah. a, a, yeah. a very uh, a, a great trip that for would me. Be fun. It was it was fun. It was great. Saw a lot of amazing things and met with amazing people. It was it was a lot of sitting. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. All right. Let's see. Let's do. Uh, we'll do one more question. The question was, uh, "Do you make your bed every morning?" Um. Okay, we have to define what that is because I think everyone has their own. That means no. That no, means you don't. I don't. So. Let me explain. We have, we have one of those um, comforter covers, right? So I don't have a bedspread and that whole thing. And okay. We don't have a flat sheet either. Oh wow! So it's I like just that. fitted sheet and comforter. Nice. So making the bed is yeah. kind of like real. I mean, it's not that you just throw the cover and make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like someone else like has military, the sheets and you, like, yeah. cut, you tuck them in. So, and when I say sort of, yeah, is it perfect? No. Do I? Do I? I sleep with a lot of pillows, not as many as your wife, but oh I sleep gosh. I sleep with several pillows tucked in my hip, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Try to get them all up to the headboard there, pull the cover up. I mean, that's the extent of it. Yeah. So it's a little unfair yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. not a true making of a bed. Yeah, yeah. But I'm making what I got. <laughs> my wife, something, you made me think about something that happened the other night. I lost it laughing the other night because we're about to go to bed and there's a pillow right next to me and I just grabbed the pillow and started using it for my own head. And my wife was like, what the heck? That was my pillow. And it was just, it was right next to me and it was against her back. And I was like, you weren't using it. And she goes, this is a true story, 100%. She said, that's my back pillow. <laughs> and I was like, you're what? And she was like, that's my back pillow. And I was like, what does it do? And she said, it supports my back. <laughs> and I, it was like just barely touching her. I was like, there's no, and I started laughing. I lost it. I was like, your back, when we go upstairs, we'll bring that up. I was like, and then I had to put it back so she could have her back pillow. But uh, yeah, so my wife uses an unbelievable amount of pillows. I I used to make my bed every day. That was like a big part of my routine. But my bed making isn't good enough for my wife. Got so it. now 
she has taken over that responsibility so, oh, okay. because she's likes it a certain she way. likes it a certain way. So it's like you know what, go for it. That's knock it. Knock yourself man. out. Seriously, <laughs> knock. Yeah, that and changing the sheets and all that. Ugh. Can I just say one thing I don't understand about um, at least my wife and I, I know like a lot of her friends, they have decorative pillows. Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> what, what the hell is? Because all they do is they're not on there when you sleep. Mm-hmm. When you're done sleeping, you make the bed, and you put these decorative pillows on there that no one sees except you. And then once it's time for bed, you take them off again, and you have to put them away, and no one ever sees them. So what is the point? I am the wrong person to okay, ask. I figured as much. I am in your camp on this. <laughs> okay, good. I am in your camp on this. I don't know. I don't get I, it. You know... I guess they want the feel of some nice setup, you know, whatever, trying to make it look fancy. It may, maybe it makes them feel like they're in some sort of resort or something, you know, I, I got nothing. I don't, all right, well, I as long nothing. as you're with me on this, that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, no, I, because mm. I don't get it. My wife does it. Her grandmother does it. I know a lot of her friends do it. Mike Vacanti's wife does it. We talk, like, I, I don't get it. Yeah. And, but they, in the same way that I don't get it or we don't get it, they don't understand the other way. They're like, yeah. why don't you understand it? They're decorative pillows. Like yeah. it's, uh, oh, it's just, it's difficult for me. That we have, so we have decorative pillows on a couch downstairs and I have to remove them so I can sit on the couch. What's the point? I, what is the, why are they there? It, you can't sit on the couch. Yeah. You know, Frederick wants to lay on it. He can't even lay on it either. I, I don't, don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. But such is life. Yeah. Well, Susan, can you tell everyone where they can follow you if they don't already? Yeah, Susan Niebergall Fitness, just about everywhere. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all the all the things. I'll, I'll put Susan's Instagram in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please leave a five-star review on Spotify and on iTunes. The the written reviews really help the absolute most. So if you could do give a written review, that would mean the world to me. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon.